0: hey guys today we have joining us pastor roberto miranda preaching the next message in our series on prayer he's been a friend of our ministry of Hop and hilltop since we've started in this city he's an amazing amazing pastor and you're going to get a ton out of this all right well greetings uh, hilltop church my name is roberto miranda i'm pastor of congregation lion of judah in boston and Uh, I guess I'm probably not a stranger to some of you, because over the years we have had extraordinarily positive relationship with uh, Daryl and Bethany, who are some of my very favorite people and ministers in uh, New England, and I've been honored to be in association with them. And for me, it's a great uh, privilege to be here with you as well today and to be able to address you. And I've been asked by your pastors to speak about the subject of prayer. That's an extraordinarily important topic, of course, and you could say volumes regarding the issue of prayer. It's such a crucial element of the Christian life. So I I wanna isolate, so to speak, a small sliver of that huge universe that is uh, prayer. And I wanna talk about insistence in prayer, focus, specificity in prayer. I also wanna talk about persistence uh, in the sense of um, uh, when we, Confront the apparent silence or denial and even resistance of God to our prayers. How do we navigate that? How do we um, relate to uh, that delay of God many times when we present our urgent needs uh, before him? So insistence in prayer. And I want to use a passage from Scripture. It's of Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. Well known, the faith of the... Canaanite woman, also known as the Syrophoenician woman. Huge uh, terms there. But let me, let me read it quickly for you. Matthew 15, 21 through 28. It reads, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. She's speaking to the woman. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And Jesus replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Many years ago, Um, Our church, after having moved from uh, Cambridge Port, where I am right now standing, by the way, uh, to the Boston area, we were experiencing a kind of a significant crisis, and it was related to parking. And many of you will understand what I'm saying, living in this city. Um, Our church had grown after about four years of being in uh, this new location in Boston, and the entire neighborhood had turned into uh, parking for residents only. We had no parking uh, available for the church as such. And uh, we were being strangled by the lack of uh, parking spaces. And uh, they, uh, recently, after we had moved, the Boston Water and Sewer Department had established their new headquarters right next to us and had opened up four large lots for parking for their clients and uh, employees and so on. And we had petitioned them several times uh, would they allow us to park? in their lots, which were like practically next door to us, when they were not using those lots, particularly on uh, Sundays and um, on Friday evenings when we had our major services, we received uh, flat denials each time we petitioned the Boston Water and Sewer Department. The last denial was an angry one where the head of the uh, department called uh, my secretary and said to her, Tell Pastor Miranda that the answer is no, and he simply uh, you know closed down the phone uh, forcefully well we you know we started praying about that, and we had a week of uh, fasting and praying and um, it's a long story, but uh, out of that week of fasting and prayer, an invitation emerged to have a meeting with the mayor of Boston a weird weird uh, answer to prayer and so uh, you know, a few days later, we got a, a note from the, uh, uh, the, the mayor's office that uh, they had to change the venue and could the mayor come to our church and meet with us for breakfast there. Of course, we said yes, and we were beginning to see that God was moving in that. The, the, the summary of the story is that after spending about uh, two hours with the mayor who came with his uh, uh, grandson in jeans and we had a wonderful time together, and he saw our facilities and what we were beginning to do socially in the city, I, after much trepidation, dared to ask him if he would intercede on our behalf with the Boston Water and Sewer Department, of which he was the head. And uh, he said, well, I'll see what I can do. That was at the end of the meeting. Well, a few days later, I got a call from the uh, Boston Water and Sewer Department asking uh, that they wanted to see Dr. Miranda. It was no longer just Pastor Miranda with anger. Apparently, somehow, my status <laughs> had increased. And it was, of course, due to the uh, order, practically, of the mayor of the city of Boston to allow us to use those spaces. Well, we have used those spaces over the past uh, pretty much 15 years. And they have been absolutely crucial to our capacity to survive as a church and to expand and to grow, as we have done over the years. It was a particularly striking, dramatic answer to prayer. I'm a firm believer in the power of prayer, and I can tell you that um, it is the fuel that animates my ministry, although I do recognize that I, there's always more, much more that I could do in terms of prayer. So um, I wanna illustrate some principles about prayer from this incident in Jesus' ministry. And by the way, these, these principles not only pertain to prayer, but also to you know, many other areas of our spiritual life as a whole. Principles of uh, insistence, as I've said, repetition, definition, focus on what we pray for and pursue, uh, patience and, and long-term vision. They apply to every area of life when we are seeking to achieve anything in the spiritual realm, or I might even say in life as a whole and in leadership, definitely. Uh, this Canaanite woman, as I've said before, also known as a Syrophoenician woman, is one of those desperate individuals who break all the rules and who prevail with their attitude of faith and persistence. I think of those desperate uh, figures in the Gospels, uh, uh, Zacchaeus, getting up on that tree and you know, doing all, uh, overcoming all kinds of obstacles to, to get a, a sight of Jesus. And then he's rewarded by having dinner with Jesus and meeting him as the Lord and Savior of his life. I think of Bartimaeus, the, the blind man who screams out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples try to silence him, and yet he cries even louder and louder. And finally, the Lord... Um, pays attention to him and grants his request, his request for sight. I'm thinking of the woman with the flow of blood who invades the um, uh, multitude, despite the fact that she's violating religious law because of her issue of blood and reaches out and kind of, uh, how should I say it, steals power, healing power from Jesus. And uh, by touching the hem of his garment, She is healed, and Jesus, instead of rebuking her, actually affirms her gesture of faith and and blesses her by approving her and and, uh, giving her one sort of closing blessing as uh, she leaves, instead of allowing her to leave in silence and shame, thinking that somehow maybe she stole something that didn't belong uh, to her. Um, You know, all of these individuals violated the rules because they had an urgent need, and their desperation led them to do extraordinary things to get an answer from Jesus. And by the way, desperation sometimes uh, is uh, an, an extraordinary ally. It's, maybe it's sometimes because we are not desperate enough that we don't get more answers from the Lord as we pray. Uh, and, uh, you know, let me clarify something. E- even though this woman's uh, encounter is different from the normal scenario of prayer where we're praying to, praying to an invisible God whom we believe is real, of course, but we don't have the benefit that this woman had. She had the benefit of having a person-to-person audience with Jesus himself. Nevertheless, you know, what you see here is the same dynamic of prayer. She has a petition in response to a need. She directs this petition to the Lord and uh, God answers that prayer. And this is the, the essential dynamic of prayer. So let's not get ourselves uh, sort of di- diverted by the fact that it's a different uh, kind of scenario. It is involving the very dynamic and the very, the very essence of what prayer is all about. Um, we, may, we may not have the privilege of, uh, that this woman had of being able to present her need to Jesus in person, but through prayer we, we do the same thing. We present our needs to God in the expectation and faith that he will answer. This woman has a clear need, and as I have said earlier, it is an urgent one. Her daughter is possessed by a demon. She knows what she wants. She presents her need clearly and urgently before the Lord. And it's important to say that we also, ourselves, must have clarity. This is an important point of my presentation. We must have clarity regarding the things we are asking the Lord for as we pray. Many times our prayers fail because they're not specific. They're not clear. They're not defined enough we submit to the Lord vague petitions that we have not defined well. Sometimes our prayers are, are mixed, for example, with, with carnal elements that contaminate our prayers and render those prayers ineffective. We have to remember that we always have to pray according to the will of God, not according to our own carnal inclinations. Um, at other times, we may be asking God for something, you know, verbally and uh, seemingly, you know, something that we want, but secretly, subconsciously, we may be denying the very thing that we are asking for. That's the complexity of the human mind. There's confusion and lack of definition there as well. For example, we may be asking the Lord to free us from a certain mental habit, a certain situation of bondage, a stronghold in our spiritual life, or maybe a romantic relationship that we're asking the Lord, Lord, take him away from me or her from me. I want to serve you well. But what happens, in the deep inner self, we may not be ready or willing to free ourselves of that, re- of that situation yet. Secretly, we may be holding back. And sometimes we do play games uh, with the Lord. And so God sees the depth of the heart and He may not be able to answer that prayer because it, He respects our will. And our will really is saying, I don't want to be freed from that yet. I think a few of you can probably identify with that kind of, I know I have in my own life many times, played games with the Lord. In, in many ways, you know, prayer is a science and we need to learn how to pray well. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray and the Lord did so. And he showed them a, a prototype of prayer. And in the Our Father, we have a, a kind of a, a model, a, a prototype of what prayer involves and the different elements encoded in that prayer of Jesus. In, in the case of Bartimaeus, for example, we see this need for clarity and definition. Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus, and he said simply, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. All right, He's, he, that's what he wants. He wants mercy, compassion, support from the Lord. But when the Lord calls him to come forward, he asks this strange question, what do you want me to do? Now, you know, Bartimaeus said, hey, come on, look at me. I'm blind. That's why I'm a beggar. It, it, it was evident that what he wanted was uh, healing for his sight. But Jesus needed to hear that specifically from him. He, his, his request would be a confession of faith in the Lord. Now, you might ask, why, why is this uh, element of clarity necessary? Well, I think it's partially because God takes us seriously. Our petitions are also declarations. Our petitions are, I would say, almost like prophetic in nature. According to what we pronounce with our mouth, we receive. And I don't need to insist too much on that. You can find all kinds of precedents for scripture, of Scripture on that. That's, that's why we, we need to take time for prayer. Prayers cannot be rushed. We must describe in great detail to the Lord what it is that we want to have Him do. Many times my prayer takes the... the the form of a session with my psychiatrist. Not that I have one, but you know what I mean. A psychiatrist tries to delve deep into your your condition and tries to sort of, uh, you know, separate different streams of your consciousness in order to get to what really is at, at the heart of your situation. And prayer should be something like that where we expose our need before the Lord and we um, explore the various aspects of our situation and we just uh, kind of... Uh, display all of that material before God so that His Spirit can shine upon it and do what God wants to do through that creative chaos that we are exposing to Him by expressing our prayers. Prayer is an interaction between us and the Lord. Prayer is also a great way to help us define our situations and to gain insight on their true nature. This is part of an idea that I have discussed in other sermons on prayer, that prayer is not only the, the, list, the laundry list that we present before God, but it is also a way of def- defining ourselves and changing ourselves. It is a transformative process when we do it right. Prayer is the, the, the sight of God um, looking deep into our souls and, and His holy influence clarifying, sanctifying, solving things, and prayer allows that, that psychic material, so to speak, the psychological material, that spiritual chaos to, for the Lord to brood upon it as He did with uh, creation, uh, on the day of creation. And this is why prayer needs to be seen in its very, very complex nature. It's not just, a, you know, Lord do this, Lord do that. No, it, it's, it's, it's a much more profound encompassing kind of process that we are really uh, engaging in. Uh, 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 as we develop our petitions before the Lord, we, we better define our situations and gain insight on their true nature. We learn more and more what they consist of. We also gain insight about ourselves and about the things that God needs to work out in our own lives to help us grow spiritually. Uh, uh, spiritually. Uh, th- th- this idea of uh, developing our petitions and being detailed and specific about these petitions connects us with another aspect of prayer. And this is a little bit I should I say convoluted or maybe just profound, but I think it's important to isolate it. Prayers are like a judicial argument presented before the court of God. It's like a judicial argument. Often it may be a matter of finding the right expression, the right approach, the right motive within ourselves, in order to open that block of God's will. On our lives, that that's just the way it is. There are no shortcuts to effective prayer. James, uh, the apostle, in, in his uh, epistle, chapter four, verse three. In the, uh, I, I want to use the uh, American Standard version because I think it expresses really clearly. He says, uh, "Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss." Sometimes we don't receive an answer to our prayers because we are asking in the wrong way. That's what the word amiss. We've missed the target. We are not striking the mark. In this case, it says that ye may spend it in your pleasures. Later on, uh, or before that, Romans, the book of Romans chapter eight, uh, verses 26 and 27, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless, Groans, which, by the way, the, the wordless groans of the Spirit are uh, a thousand times more eloquent than the most eloquent words that we can concoct. And, and then uh, Romans of 8.27 says, And he who searches our minds and our, our hearts, who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So, what it's saying there that, you know, th- that uh, somehow there's a process whereby uh, the prayers need to strike a mark. They need to flow in affinity with the heart of God. And many times we don't know what that is. And so, when we miss it, we have this uh, intercessor, this Holy Spirit, this Paracletos that comes and uh, helps us to, and guides us through the proper presentation of our prayers before God. So, you know, lest you be intimidated by the complexity of what I'm trying to describe here, uh, remember that um, ultimately God, through His Spirit, is able to help us to frame our prayers in the appropriate manner when we come before Him. So even though it's a very complex thing, we're not left alone, but we need to be aware that we have a part to play in that. The spiritual realm functions according to judicial lines. I, I've, I've seen that over and over again, it's, I think it's one of the most profound principles of all. By the way, I think the demonic realm also functions according to judicial lines. The whole spirit world is judicially inclined. Human beings have developed the judicial format, laws and, and uh, juries and uh, you know, courts, because I think we have been made in the image of God. We have the, the, the personality of God imprinted in us. And so we project in our institutions, in our social, in our, our judicial um, you know, proceedings, this fact that God is a judicial God. God is a God of laws. Look at the universe. He's a God of methods. And so are demons, as I've said, by the way. So do not be um, surprised that prayer, one of the deepest ways of interacting with God, would involve his judicial personality. And we need to flow accordingly. And so now we're into, you know, we have, we have three different principles. Let me summarize them for you. First, we need to be specific when we pray. Secondly, we must take time to pray and craft our arguments before the throne of God well. And, and uh, you know, the, the third principle is, is that, that our prayers should often, as often as possible, be supported by the word of God and accompanied by references to God's promises in that way, our own prayers and faith are reinforced and we can come boldly before the throne of God. Uh, why? Because you know, then we're like lawyers coming before a judge and we have precedent, we have the laws of the land, we have the, the code, the legal code of the land, and we stand before this judge who is uh, obligated to honor that legal code and we can say, this is the precedent, this is what I'm founding my argument on, and then we can present it boldly and confidently before the throne of God, I, I would say that a person who knows well the Word of God and is steeped in it will also know how to pray well. And this is why it's so important that we people of the Spirit, Pentecostal, Charismatic people, supernaturally oriented people, do not use as an excuse of our supernatural as, uh, uh, our supernatural orientation to not know fully, deeply, specifically the Word of God, its archetypes, its uh, themes. It's uh, personages, um, it's theological principles, uh, it's narratives and stories. These are elements that I think should be very much second nature. We need to read our Bible over and over again until it becomes second nature. It becomes a part of us. Because then as we pray and we interact with the Holy Spirit of God, those principles will be expressing themselves through our life. And we will be much more effective in ministry, in prayer, and in every other aspect of the Christian life. Here's another principle then. We must approach the throne of God as if it were a judicial bench and seek to kind of, quote unquote, to convince the Lord of the legitimacy of our needs and arguments. And I'll now go a little deeper into the, the woman herself, the Syrophoenician woman. And here's another thing that I, I would put as a foundation for my, my comments. Perhaps then we need to ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and discernment as we present our needs before the Lord. So sometimes even before we pray, we have to pray that the Lord would guide our petitions and refine them and align them with God. And, uh, you know, as the Psalmist says, examine me, O Lord, look deeply into myself. And if there's any wayward way in me, correct me and guide me according to um, your ways. Because, uh, you know, sometimes we need uh, to purify our prayers. When they reach that point of laser-like specificity, then, believe me, the, the answer, will simply be inevitable. And this is what this narrative of the Canaanite woman so clearly suggests. It is her specific, forceful response to Jesus, uh, how should I say, didactic hesitation, because he's doing it really for didactic purposes. He wanted to heal her all along. But it's that forceful response on her part that overcomes the apparent resistance of Jesus to answer her petition. And of course, he was setting a precedent, by the way. I mean, he was, this whole thing would be registered by the Holy Spirit in the, this uh, narrative of the, the gospel and would serve millions of believers over 2000 years to extract important principles about the practice of prayer. Jesus was very deliberate. He, he was almost watching the video before it took place and he was setting up this whole thing for us as I am doing right now here in expounding on this issue. Uh, for, for our discussion. You, you see that her petition, her, her petition is very specific because of the clarity of her need and, and the urgent situation that her daughter is facing. It forces her to be very clear and she had very little time also to approach the Lord. And you see that the Lord at first ignores her cries for help as he did with Bartimaeus. But he had a second intention in doing so just as with Bartimaeus, he, he probably heard, him the, heard her the first time. But he had a clear motive for ignoring and delaying the final answer. And so let's remember that much of what happens in Scripture is meant for our edification and teaching. This Scripture provides that legal precedent that I've mentioned for our own spiritual life. Many of these individuals uh, portrayed in the Bible uh, were not aware that their own experiences would be illustrating powerful spiritual principles that hundreds of years afterwards, generations would use for their own spiritual life. Jesus wanted to show the importance of persistence, repetition, and right argument in the spiritual realm. And, and as a matter of fact, by the way, this is, this is really, a, there's a fifth principle that we can glean from this incident. And I would put it this way, if at first you fail, try and try again in prayer is an important spiritual truth, many times the the silence and and the delays of God in answering our prayers are meant to satisfy, to check off, to fulfill important spiritual principles and profound intentions that that God has for us. God's delays are merely ways of refining us, testing us, and strengthening us, making us deeper in our relationship with Him, and, and teaching us important elements of the spiritual life to make us better servants. God never denies a prayer or delays a prayer or stays silent before a prayer unless he has something so much more profound, much more loving um, and uh, didactic, if you will, uh, for us. If we, go, if we give up easily and stop knocking at the door then we will have lost the possibility of gaining anything from God. I'm often terrified by the thought that I might stop praying just before I get that answer that I need from the Lord that I've been insistently um, presenting before him. By the way, I have prayers. I'm 65 years old. I have prayers that I have brought before the Lord since I was a young man, 15 years old. I still present them before the Lord, not having seen the answer to them yet. But I present to them, I present them day after day after day as if I'm brushing my teeth. I just present it before the Lord uh, because I know that that's what I'm expected to do and that by doing so, I am actually honoring the Lord with my persistence and my insistent prayer. You know, the Lord illustrated this with the parable of the widow who pestered the unjust judge repeatedly until she obtained justice from him. And what God wanted to do was to show that, hey, if this unjust man uh, was uh, forced to accede to a, an insistent petition, how much more so this loving, kind, generous Father will respond to our own insistent uh, prayer? Now, you know, you may be wondering, uh, and, and, you know, uh, is God really that meticulous with us with respect to prayer? Am I not kind of confusing the issue and... Uh, creating artificial, you know, complexities about prayer? Doesn't, doesn't God really, you know, mean merely sort of read our intentions and, and respond accordingly to His kindness? Uh, and I do believe that, you know, there are prayers that God will answer, you know, uh, despite great ignorance uh, or, you know, young, young believers and even unbelievers that may uh, pray to the Lord in His great generosity and kindness. God is not rigid. Or pharisaic about uh, these, these methods of course you know god god is uh, he is sovereign he does whatever he wants but generally this is the way it proceeds and by the way the more mature you become in the kingdom the more experienced you are i think the more serious god becomes and the way that he deals uh, with you he god um god takes us very seriously and our our wording and our prayers and the nature of our prayers and the insistence or lack thereof of our prayers um, will have profound influence on whether we succeed or not in what we ask the Lord. One incident that I find in Scripture very, very uh, illustrative is the, the, the principle of Elisha and King Joash um, in 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 to 20. You remember the story. Elisha is on his deathbed. And uh, King jo- Joash, who was a kind of a lukewarm man, I mean, he's not a bad guy, but he's not, neither is he sort of a, you know, Filled with the word of God and so on, he's just a mediocre believer, and he comes to pay his respects to the dying prophet. And in a moment of uh, spiritual overtaking and, and uh, you know just filledness or fullness of the Holy Spirit, uh, Elisha, uh, you know maybe he got out of his bed or he just he just asks the the king to take into in his hand a bunch of arrows, and uh, you know and he said he asks the, the king to shoot one arrow out of the window. And, he, and uh, uh, Elisha prophetically declares that that arrow is the arrow of God against the Syrians. And then without telling him too much of what God has in mind, he says now to the king, strike the ground with the, 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 arrow, the arrows. And Jehoash, being the mediocre guy that he is, and probably thinking, you know, this guy is probably you know, his last, but I'm going to uh, humor him anyway. He strikes probably uh, indifferently three times on the ground with the uh, arrows And uh, the, the prophet, indignant, says to him, I mean, he probably said, hey, you know, you fool. If you, would have, if you would have struck the ground four or five times, you would have destroyed the Syrians completely and gotten them out of your way. Because they were, uh, uh, you know, just a torment to the Israelites. He says, but now, since you only struck the ground three times, you will only defeat them three times. Meaning that, you know, if you would have done it exhaustively, with enthusiasm, you would have completely wiped them out. But now, since he did it three times, he would defeat the the army only three times. So you see, you know, this this very, very insistent God. And you know, this is why we have to ask the Lord for discernment, because Joash, without knowing it, was in a pregnant prophetic moment that would have changed the course of his kingdom, but he missed it because he had no discernment. He had no understanding of the prophetic principles of, of this God who is very thorough and deliberate, and he could not discern the presence of the Holy Spirit and the extraordinarily prophetic nature of that moment that he was living. Um, So we need to understand that. um, uh, In this case of this woman, the Lord ignores her initially, to illustrate this principle that we must be persistent and repetitive when we are praying. And he delayed his answer. He wanted to test her resolve, but she would not be put off. She had a huge need. And you know what he does? He rejects her petition with an insult says, uh, you know, you, you don't give the food of the children to the dogs. Imagine, she, he, he would have told me that. I would have been out of there huffing and puffing in a moment. But she responds humbly. Her need is too great to be put off, she says, with a very powerful argument. And she uses Jesus' own words, who's saying, you know, I, I, you, you should not give the food of the children to the dogs. She says, yes, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs of what falls from the table. And, you know, Jesus was pinned to the wall. This woman had come up with a, a, a overwhelming argument, unanswerable. She took his word and turned it against him in a way and forced him legally, judicially, to answer her request. And Jesus just, you know, he probably smiled and uh, said, woman, <laughs> your faith is so great. Let it be done according to your petition. And it says that in that very moment, probably miles and miles away, her daughter was freed from that demonic oppression. A beautiful, beautiful illustration of, the, of how judicial principles operate in the kingdom of God and how we need to not take prayer uh, lightly or not take lightly the, 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 the profundity, if you will, of how God deals with us and how important we are to the Lord in the process of answering our prayers. We we need to develop our prayers as an argument. We need to persist. We need to discern this principle that God's delays are often His loving ways of helping us to define ourselves further. And we need to really hone our prayers um, as much as possible. So um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stop it here. You know. I, we could go on and on there 's a lot of other stuff that we could uh, discuss, but um, you know I, I want to leave with you this uh, important element that God takes us extraordinarily seriously in every area of our lives sometimes we in our desire to um, you know um, emphasize god 's grace and his mercy his compassion, we underestimate this God that takes us extraordinarily, extraordinarily serious who takes who is forced to, to abide by the rules of his kingdom, he will not violate his own integrity. And sometimes we think, well, God is just, God is good. You know, he'll, he'll look over this uh, omission, this sin, whatever. You know, but remember that there's also an accuser. Because again, the, the demonic world also proceeds according to judicial principles. And um, that accuser will bring up the law of God against us. And God sometimes will be forced then to either act against us or to withhold blessings that He wants to give to us uh, because we are in a judicial controversy. And sometimes we need to resolve those controversies through uh, awareness of this profound ocean that we navigate, which is the spiritual realm. So I want to urge us all to ask the Lord for understanding when we pray. Let's not take it lightly. Let's understand that we are in one of the most uh, sublime, uh, profound uh, interactions with the Spirit of God and that it is a privilege to be involved in it. Let's become students of prayer. Let's become people who take the kingdom of God extremely seriously and ourselves extremely seriously as well. And uh, to take seriously this extraordinarily complex God that we serve. God bless you. And uh, I do pray that these uh, principles will be a benefit to your life. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you because you are, despite uh, being a serious God, you're also a loving God, compassionate. And uh, we can leave this meditation knowing that we are, everything that I've said is overarched by your kindness and your fatherly love. I pray that these words, to the degree that they come from you will be reinforced in the lives and the sensibility of those that are watching. And I I do bless Hilltop Church as well in this time of stress and difficulty. And I declare doors opening on their behalf. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.